thank you very much for being here, and um, I hope everyone is uh, having a good Mother's Day. Um, I think it is likely that everyone in this room has some sort of uh, relationship to a mother, right? So male, female, whoever you are. So hopefully you're loving on your moms. Uh, Brad, and thanks for leading us this morning. Um, Brad mentioned also that we are in the middle of this series called New. And the reason that we chose this as a theme um, for a sermon series is if you look in the pages of Scripture, whether it's uh, way back in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, there's always this idea of new, right? There's this idea of God coming in to a situation or to a relationship or to a heart uh, where a, uh, someone's life is decrepit, decaying, not functioning properly, and God comes in and redeems people. He creates something new, and Brad talked about this morning some of those things that he offers that are new. This morning, we're going to be talking about the new heart, uh, but before we jump into this, uh, I'm going to take a moment, and I'm going to pray, and uh, then we will begin. Father, thank you very much for every single person in this room. I would simply ask uh, that you would let no one leave here today without having had an encounter with you, the living God, for their sake, Father, but also for your own glory. Um, Father, I pray that you would be magnified today. I pray, Father, that as we stand in your presence, that we would be tempted to, to shout, that we would be tempted to sing, uh, that we would be tempted to tell people uh, of your greatness and what you've done for us, particularly through your son, Jesus. And so, Father, it's in Jesus' name that we pray all these things today. Amen. All right, so this morning we're going to be talk, talk, starting off this topic of the new heart. I'm going to turn your eyes up to the screen really quickly, and we're going to have a little movie clip from uh, one of probably the most famous movie from 1966. It's a children's movie uh, that uh, is called The Grinch by Dr. Seuss. And so we're going to watch this little video clip, and then we're going to talk about what that has to do with a new heart that God offers us. All right, you guys may be dismissed. Everybody go home. Just kidding. Um, that's a fun little movie. If you guys have ever seen it, hopefully you have. And um, obviously what you see there is the dilemma. And the dilemma is you have this character called the Grinch. And the Grinch has this old bad heart, right? And this old bad heart uh, is unable to, to take pleasure in anyone else's happiness. This old heart doesn't want to be generous. This old, old heart doesn't want what's best for other people. In fact, if you remember the song about the Grinch's heart, here are a couple lines um, that go like this. It says, you're a monster, Mr. Grinch. Your heart's an empty hole. Your brain is full of spiders. You have garlic in your soul, Mr. Grinch. I wouldn't touch you with a 39 and a half foot pole. You're a foul one, Mr. Grinch. You're a nasty, wasty skunk. Your heart is full of unwashed socks. Your soul is full of gunk, Mr. Grinch. The three words that best describe you are as follows, and I quote, stink, stank, stunk. Awesome. I was, waiting, I was expecting more, but I'm glad. That was still good. Anyway. And obviously what you see there, and is he, he's just stolen all of the, you know, the Christmas presents from the Whoville people, right? Because he's so, uh, he, he doesn't want what's good for them. He doesn't want what's best for them. He's envious of their happiness, right? And uh, what's interesting is that he receives this new heart. And with his new heart, he's able to repent. He, he has super strength and he returns the presents to the Whoville people. Not only that, but his new heart allows him to actually be joyful that they're celebrating, right? That they're having Christmas. So all of a sudden, this old heart, which was envious, is now joyful at uh, their happiness. His new heart also enables him to be generous and actually serve other people. You see him carving the roast beef and passing it, passing it around, roast beast and passing it around. So the question is, 
What does the Grinch have to do with this sermon theme this morning, this idea of the new heart? Well, the answer is this, is that we are like the Grinch in the sense that, apart from God, our old hearts are decaying, our old hearts are destructive. Not only will they destroy us, but they'll destroy those we love as well. And what the Bible tells us from the very beginning to the very end is that we desperately, desperately are in need of a new heart. That's what Ezekiel chapter 36 says. We're going to read this in a minute. Part of what you need to know is that this book of Ezekiel was written by a man who was a prophet named Ezekiel. He really existed at the same time that Jeremiah did. Now, for those of you who know anything about either Ezekiel or Jeremiah, what happened was the children of Israel had engaged in idolatry. And so one of the th- core themes of both Jeremiah and Ezekiel is you guys have to, to quit giving yourselves over to these idols. And basically, God says, until you do so, I'm going to allow sort of your idolatry to run its course. And the course that it runs is that the, the Babylonians enter into the scene, and they, uh, they, they sack Jerusalem. And so Jeremiah ends up staying behind with some of the remnant that's left in Israel, and he writes to them. Ezekiel, on the other hand, is taken in captivity to Babylon, where he then prophesies to the uh, Israelites that are in captivity. And the message that God gives him is... You guys need to turn away from your idols, and you need to come to me. But the second part of the message is, you can't do that, so I'm going to have to do it for you. Listen to the words of Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 24 through 29. Beginning in verse 24, this is what God says, For I will take you out of the nations, right? They are dispersed into all the different nations. They're in Babylon. I'll take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and I'll bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone, your dead heart, and give you a heart of flesh, a living heart. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people, and I will be your God. I will save you from all your uncleanness, right? It's a great message that God gives to Ezekiel. It's a great message that he gives to those children of Israel who are far, far away from home. He says, I'm coming to rescue you, and I'm not just going to rescue you from the Babylonians. I'm going to rescue you from yourself. I'm going to rescue you from your old heart. Now, before we jump into all of this, let me ask one question, and the question is this, and I think it's beneficial for all of us, is is what does the heart mean in Scripture, right? We know in our particular context, in our culture, when we think about the heart, we either think about a physical heart, or maybe we think about sort of the emotions, what we feel about things. But the truth is, is that in uh, the Hebrew world, the heart meant much more than that. What does the heart mean in Scripture? I've got a picture up here that I'm going to show you. Um, Throughout college and uh, when I was a youth pastor, seminary, I drove a 1988 uh, Bronco II. This is a picture, not of my actual car, but one that just looks like it. And uh, that car went through tons of youth group trips and uh, went through um, early, uh, Sam's early life, although he doesn't remember it at all, went through all sorts of great you know, times together. And uh, one of the things that was interesting about the Bronco II is that it, you know, it was a, a fantastic car. It had air conditioning. It had power windows. It had a radio and that was maybe the only three things it had. Um, if you opened up the hood, w- when you looked inside it, there was an engine, right? And there was lots of room on each side of the engine. And so it was just an engine sitting in there. If you open up your hood now of your, you know, of your Camry or your Lexus or whatever, there's no room whatsoever. But in that car, it was just 
an engine, right? And that engine was the source of power for everything that happened in that car. If the engine wasn't running, the air conditioner wouldn't work. If the engine wasn't running, the windows wouldn't work. If the engine wasn't running, then the uh, radio wouldn't work. It was the source of power for that entire vehicle. And so when we talk about the heart, the analogy is this, is that in Hebrew, the heart is, uh, is the engine for everything that you do, not only what you feel, but what you think. And for what you do, the heart is the engine that makes everything go. It's the core of your being. Jesus recognized this in Luke chapter 6. He uh, is in the, the middle of a section where he's teaching the people, and here's what he has to say about the heart. He says, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit, for figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. And I would add, out of the heart, not only does the mouth speak, but the mind thinks and the hand acts. What Jesus is saying is that the heart is the engine for your entire being. So what you feel, fear, envy, love, humility, that grows out of the heart, those are signs and symptoms of the heart. What you say, slander, gossip, flattery, encouragement, or speaking the truth in love, those are things that grow out of your heart. What you do, whether you steal or cheat, or whether you give generously, or whether you serve selflessly, those are all products. Those are all signs and symptoms of your heart. Your heart is the core of your being. It's the engine for your intellect, your will, and for your emotions. It's the real you, right? That's, that's what your heart is. It matters deeply. The question is, from this passage in Ezekiel chapter 36, is what is the problem with the heart? And so we've got a slide, a couple past this one, that will begin addressing these things. What's the problem with our hearts? What's the problem with the heart? One of my professors in seminary, a man named Dr. Krabendam, used to always say, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. In other words, the sin that you see, the brokenness you see, the decay in relationships, the decay inside yourself, the decay that you see in the world, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. That's what Ezekiel 36 says. Not only does Ezekiel 36 say it, not only does Dr. Krabendam say it, but Charles Spurgeon, Baptist pastor and author from the late 1800s, says it as well. Listen to what he says about the heart. He says this. He says, it is not a house that is a little out of repair, with here and there a slate blown from the roof. And here and there a piece of plaster broken down from the ceiling. No, it is rotten throughout. The very foundations have been sapped. There is not a single timber in it which has not been eaten by the worm. From its uppermost roof to its lowermost foundation, there is no soundness in it. It is all rottenness and ready to fall, right? So Dr. Krabendam, Charles Spurgeon, Ezekiel, Jeremiah 17 says essentially the same thing. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? In other words, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart, right? What does Ezekiel have to say in particular about the brokenness of our hearts? Well, first of all, what Ezekiel has to say is that apart from God's work in us, our hearts are unclean. Apart from God's work in us, our hearts are unclean. Listen to verse 29. He says this. This is God speaking through Ezekiel. And I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. I'll deliver you from all of your uncleanness. Right? One of the things that I'm learning as I get older 
is I'm learning that so much of who I am is really a construction that I've built. It's a mask that I've put on or it's armor that I've put on in order to get things in life that I want, in order to avoid things in life that I don't want. And so what has happened is, is that I've realized that as my old heart works to create sort of this external me, that ultimately I'm not clean in my relationships with people, right? And so all of a sudden what I'm doing is that when I'm interacting with my children or when I'm interacting with Krista or when I'm interacting with people around town, I'm, I'm gauging to what degree they can help me either avoid things I don't want or to get things that I do want. Does that make sense? And so I'm not entirely clean in the way that I operate. So I come across as nice. I come across as sweet. But in reality, I'm trying to avoid people not liking me, right? I'm trying to avoid harming the church in some way instead of simply being free to interact with that person for God's glory and for his honor. And not only am I not necessarily clean in my relationships with other people, but I'm not even clean in my relationship with God sometimes, right? I mean, sometimes what I'm really doing is I'm serving God and honoring him and I'm praying and I'm singing songs and I'm reading my Bible in the morning because what I really want is I want to use God in order to accomplish my things. In other words, I'm not entirely clean. An acquaintance of mine um, slash friend of mine has uh, this great analogy where he basically says, as we grow and as we're sanctified, one of the things that we need to do is we need to recognize that so much of who we are is this false creation we've put on in order, again, to avoid what we don't want and to get what we do want. And he said, what we, part of what we have to do in sanctification is we have to lay our old self out on the autopsy table, and we need to step back for a moment and stand side by side with Jesus, and we need to look at ourselves, and we need to examine the cleanliness of our own hearts, of our own souls, of our own beings. And he says, what ends up happening is that we're terrified at first because we realize that so much of who we are is based upon fear, is based upon something that is false. The question is that with our old hearts or in our old hearts, are we clean, right? And I think the answer, unfortunately, is that apart from God, we're not entirely clean. That's one thing that Ezekiel says. Second thing that Ezekiel says is that apart from God's work in us, our hearts are dead. Apart from God's work in us, our hearts are dead. Listen to verse 26. Verse 26 says this, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. Again, this idea of a heart of stone means that apart from God, our hearts are dead, right? Apart from God, apart from his work in us, our hearts are dead. Chris and I, just a couple of weeks ago, watched an episode um, of this uh, ESPN show called 30 at 30, and uh, they have various uh, sports stories that they cover, one of which, the one we watched, was called The Hillsborough Tragedy, which was a story of how there was a soccer game in England between Liverpool and Nottingham Forest. And, uh, and during the game, a lot of people, because of the crowd, got crushed. It was a, a really sad tragedy, and I think 83 different people died. But as we were watching it, I remember one scene, they were showing these people that had been injured, and some of whom uh, were laying lifeless. And in the background, there's uh, this one bit of the footage where somebody is performing CPR on one of the people that have been crushed. And as you know, what the heart does is the heart makes everything go, right? It gives life to the limbs. It gives life to the lungs. It gives life to the brain. It gives life, gives life to the mouth. And this person is lying there, and with their dead heart, they are also dead. And part of what God is telling us through Ezekiel is he's saying, as long as you have that dead heart, not only can you not bring life to yourself, but you can't bring life to those that you're in a relationship with either. And not only that, but your heart is dead to me apart from my work in you. That dead heart is incapable of responding to God. Last thing we see in Ezekiel 
is that apart from God's work in us, our hearts are idolatrous. Listen to verse 25. Verse 25 says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all of your uncleanliness, and from all of your idols I will cleanse you. One of the things that you have to understand throughout the pages of Scripture is that idolatry is the number one sin that is talked about over and over and over again. It's talked about more than lust. It's talked about more than lying. It's always idolatry because actually each of those uh, particular sins is always a symptom of the core sin of idolatry. This is why John Calvin could say this. He says, the human heart, that old heart, is a factory of idols. Every one of us is, from his mother's womb, an expert in inventing idols. The evil in our desire typically does not lie in what we want, but that we want it too much. In other words, that God has given us some good thing, a wife or children or athletic ability or a desire to succeed in business. All of those things are fine in and of themselves, but when we desire those things more than we desire God, they've become an idol. And what Calvin is saying here is he's saying that unfortunately that old heart is an absolute uh, brute at creating idols, right? Not only that, Richard Keyes, noted speaker, says this. He says, an idol is something within creation that is inflated to function as God. So it's a created thing that takes the place of the creator. All sorts of things are potential idols, depending only on our attitudes and actions toward them. Idolatry may not involve explicit denials of God's existence or character. It may well come in the form of an overattachment to something that is in itself perfectly good. An idol can be a physical object, like a car, for those of you who are 17 out there that love your car, or maybe for those of you who are 53 that have a car. It can be a property. It can be a person, right? It can be an activity. It can be a role. It can be an institution. It can be a hope, right? It can be an image. It can be an idea. It can be a pleasure. It can be a hero. It can be anything that substitutes for God. In other words, what Keyes is saying what John Calvin is saying, what Ezekiel is saying, what Jesus is saying is that unfortunately our old heart is amazingly good at creating idols out of things that God has ultimately created. I could go on and on and on, but ultimately these idols will not only destroy you, they'll actually destroy the objects of our idolatry. Our old hearts are constantly cranking out idolatry. So if that's the problem, the question is what is the solution? If the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart, then what is the cure? The cure is this, that God offers us a new heart. He offers us a brand new core of being, a new engine. Verse 26 says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. I'll remove from you progressively that dead heart that leads to decay, that destroys you and destroys relationships. And instead, I will give you a heart, a new heart that is alive and that actually creates and can give life, right? But part of what God is also saying is he's saying it's not enough to simply fix it and tinker with it a little bit here and there. The whole thing eventually will need to be replaced. Let's go back to that same quote by Charles Spurgeon I read a little while ago where he says this, it is not a house that is a little out of repair with here and there a slate blown from the roof, and here and there a piece of plaster broken down from the ceiling. No, it is rotten throughout. The very foundations have been sapped. There's not a single timber in which, uh, in it which has not been eaten by the worm. From its uppermost roof to its lowest foundation, there's no soundness in it. 
It is all rottenness and ready to fall. God doth not attempt to mend. He does not shore up the walls and repaint the door. He does not garnish and beautify, but he determines that the old house shall be entirely swept away, swept away, and that he will build a new one. In other words, God has to eventually give you a new heart. That's exactly what Ezekiel chapter 36 says, is I'll take away from you that dead heart, that idolatrous heart, that unclean heart, and I'll give you a heart that can truly give life. I'll give you a heart that can truly respond to me, right? So the question is, are we different? Do we have that new heart? And if so, what does that new heart do for us? I'm going to talk about four things very quickly that uh, that, that new heart does for those of us uh, who have had that old heart replaced as we've trusted in Christ as our Savior. The first thing is, is that when we have received that new heart, we receive new desires as a product of that new heart. So we have new desires. Listen to Jeremiah 24, 7. Jeremiah 24, 7 says this, I will give them a heart to know me, for I am the Lord, and they will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me with their whole heart, right? In other words, what Jeremiah is saying, what Ezekiel is saying is, He's saying that when I give you that new heart, you'll have new desires. And one of those new desires is that you'll desire to know me, that you'll, you'll, you'll desire to walk with me, that you'll desire to have a relationship with me, that you'll desire to return to me. That's one of those new desires. I read a quote this past week from Tim Keller where he essentially says this. He says, our old heart seeks God because he is useful. Our new heart seeks God because he is beautiful. Let me read that one more time. Our old heart seeks God because he's useful, right? Because God can you know, keep our kids safe, or God can bless my career, or God can make me a better athlete, right? So we pursue God because he's useful, that old heart, right? But the new heart seeks God simply because he is beautiful. Does that make, make sense? I mean, it's Mother's Day today. Think about all the moms out there. Think about your husband. Why does your husband seek you? Does he seek you because you make good food, Right? Does he seek you because you look good on his arm? Does he seek you because you take care of the home? Or does he seek you because he loves you, because you are beautiful? What God says is when I give you that new heart, that new heart is going to desire me for me. Now, that doesn't mean that occasionally we're not going to desire God for what he can do for us, but ultimately we'll seek him because he's beautiful. He gives us a new heart with its new desires. What are the other, uh, the other effects of having a new heart? Another effect is that we'll have new power. We'll have new ability. Listen to Philippians 2, 12, and 13. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to fulfill his good purpose. Let me read verse 13 again. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to fulfill his good purpose. Our new heart has the power and the energy for holiness because God gives it to us. Does that make sense? Right? All of a sudden, we have the ability to honor God, but the reason that we have it is because God gives it to us, and so we now can desire sanctification. We can desire holiness and be pure in that desire. It's easy to desire uh, holiness or sanctification in order to look good, right? That's what the old self might do. The old self uh, might act in a way that is religious or might act in a way that is loving, but it's ultimately uh, selfish. The new heart again, ultimately desires holiness and has the power for holiness, but has it for the right reasons. What are the other implications of the new heart? Not only do we have new desires, not only do we have new abilities, but we have new emotions. Listen to the words of Romans 15. 
Romans 15 says this, may the God of hope fill you with all, and listen to these words, joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, if anybody had a conversion experience that is, uh, that is more clearly defined or described in the New Testament than Paul's, I don't know who it is. Part of what we know about Paul is before his conversion experience, before he received a new heart, he was a murderer. It says that he was breathing out murderous threats. Paul says that he was filled with contempt for others, that he was arrogant and prideful. Paul says that he had selfish ambition. His fuel, his, his engine was murderous threats, contempt, and selfish ambition. And now here in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, we have Paul describing himself with this new heart. And all of a sudden, he says this new heart is filled with joy. This new heart is filled with hope. This new heart is filled with peace. This new heart experiences all of these things and precisely experiences them, not when everything is going right, but precisely when everything is going wrong for Paul, right? That this new heart gives us the ability to have joy and hope and peace in the midst of suffering. This new heart gives us new desires, new power, new emotions. And finally, this new heart even gives us new passions. Listen to the words of 2 Corinthians 5. It says this, For the love of Christ controls us, right? It's this all-controlling, all-consuming passion. One of the other translations says, For the love of Christ compels us, right? This new engine is compelled with love for Christ because we've concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves. That's the old heart, the old engine. But for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, no one according to the old heart. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You now have a new heart, and that new heart is compelled by the love of Christ. That new heart is compelled by the gospel. You see, our old heart was passionate about our old kingdom, right? Our old heart was passionate about what we could do for ourselves. Our old heart was was really passionate about creating a world and developing relationships that sought to help us, again, avoid pain and experience the pleasure that we desired. Our old heart was passionate about our, old, our own kingdom and driven by our selfish ambition. But this new heart that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 5, this new heart is passionate about God's kingdom, driven by the love, compelled by the love of Christ. We not only have new desires, we not only have new power, we have new emotions, and we have new passions. These are all outgrowths symptoms and signs of these new hearts. So the question is, where do we end with all of this? Well, one of the places I want us to end is I want to end by reminding you that every single place in Scripture where you read about this new heart, this new spirit, this new life, everywhere, God is the acting agent, right? God is the surgeon. God is the the one that is performing CPR. God is the one that has taken the dead body And he looks at the dead body and he performs an autopsy and he says that body can live again if it has a new heart. In every single one of these instances, every single one of these verses, God is the one looking at you and saying, I will give you that new heart with its new desires, with its new passions, with its new energy. I'm the one that wants to to enable you to flourish as a human being, to be the person 
that I created you to be. Does that make sense? In other words, God loved you so much that he sent his only son to live this perfect life that you could never live in order to die on the cross in your stead, in order that he might rise you again, raise you again from the dead, not just physically, but even spiritually in the here and now that he would be able to give you that new heart. God loves you. He has pursued you. He's given you a new heart if you have trusted in Jesus as your Savior. Now, the next thing I want you to know in this is that if it's true that God is the one that empowers us, if he's the one that gives us the new heart, then what can we do? And the answer is this. We can be grateful, but the second thing we can do is like a sailboat, we can raise the sails and we can simply wait for God's power to blow in us, that he might come into you, that he might empower you with these new desires, these new passions, and these new abilities. And the way that you do that is you have to wait upon the Lord, right? We're told that those who wait upon the Lord will, will mount up with wings like eagles, that God will be the source of your power. And so I ask you uh, to remember that if you've trusted in Christ, that you have this new heart, and simply to ask you to go to God and to beg him to come and to feel, fill your sails with his strength, with his wind. For those of you in this room who do not have a new heart, who have not trusted in Christ as your Savior, I would simply ask you to put yourself out on that autopsy table and to take a true look at your old heart and your motivations and your desires and what your goals are. And if this God who comes and says, I love you, and I want to give you a new heart, I want to help you flourish as a human being, I would love to ask you this morning to turn to God and say, God, I have tried to manage my own life. I've tried to control my own world. I've tried to serve my own kingdom, but I want to turn my life over to you, and I want to ask you to give me a new heart, and I would ask you to ask God today to do that for you. Let's take a moment. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you, um, as always, like a good doctor, you're honest, um, but in your honesty, you're still loving, and so, Father, as you look at us and you declare that apart from you, our old hearts are unclean and that they're idolatrous and that they're dead, Father, I pray that we would believe you, um, that we wouldn't seek to heal ourselves, but rather that we would turn to you and say, um, do whatever it takes um, to make us clean. Father, do whatever it takes to remove our idols from us. Do whatever it takes, Father, to give us that new heart. We turn over everything to you because we believe uh, that you are our Father and that you love us um, more than uh, we can possibly imagine. And so, Father, we pray all these things today in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.